He took delight and awed by shame or fear. We're thinking of the great John Newton last week. This is another one of his great hymns. This is Testimony Hymn. And surely it's the testimony of all the children of God. O can it be upon a tree? The Saviour died for me. My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think he died for me. Just worship God in our giving of our tithes and offerings today. And as we do so, we'll sing hymn number 105 and we'll remain seated for the opening verses. can open that window at the front and this one at the front. The rest of you can do what you want, but uh, if you open those two windows, that will be a great help. Thank you. Turn with me again, please, to our reading in the book of Leviticus. And before we come to partake of the Lord's table and of the elements known as these blessed elements of the crucified, we're going to meditate for a little time on the words of verse 4. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make 
atonement for him. Let's unite, please, our hearts together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee today for the mystery of grace. We've been singing of it in these beautiful words of, of Bonner. Lord, we pray that thou wilt help us understand uh, of Newton. We pray that you'll help us understand it. And you'll help us to take it in. What it meant for thee, God's Holy One, to take away my sin. Bless our meditation around the truth of God and our time around the Lord's table today. May it be sweet to our souls, blessed by the Spirit and sanctified by the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Andrew Bonner wrote a wonderful commentary many years ago on the book of Leviticus. You can purchase it in the Banner of Truth and it's one of the first commentaries I think I ever I bought and I would commend it to you. And in it he makes this very simple but very pertinent comment that in the book of Leviticus we have more of the direct words of God than any other book in the Bible. That is something. We have indirect speech, we have narrative, but in the book of Leviticus there are more direct words from God through Moses than in any other book of the Bible. In the first six chapters, you will find those opening offerings, uh, that the oblations as they're called. An offering is an oblation. And we have the burnt offering. We have the, the meal or the grain offering. We have the peace offering. We have the uh, trespass offering. And, and I would encourage you to study them together. But the leading aspect of the first offering is given to us in verse 4. And that is the, the, the action of the worshipper. What did the worshipper do when he came to the tabernacle to bring the animal for the sacrifice? And so we can visualize the scene that is set before us. The one who brought the offering. And then we have the priest who will uh, slay the offering. And all of the ceremony that goes with it. And of course that offering had to meet all the divine requirements that are set out for us there in verse 3. It had to be a male. It had to be a male without blemish. And only such an offering would God accept for the atonement. And to mitigate, to take away the guilt and the punishment of the worshipper. But when the worshipper came. When that animal was being slain. He had to put his hand on the head of the animal as part of his action of worship. And I think here we have a wonderful view of what is true saving faith. Because this is a wonderful picture of Calvary. All of these offerings in some measure, some way teach us about the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament they were only pointing forward. They're only telling us of what was to come. The supreme sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And the worshipper who desired to approach unto God. The worshipper who desired to have his sins forgiven. He laid his hands upon the head of the animal that was slain in his stead. And really what was happening? God and the believing soul were meeting at the one point. God and the believing soul met just at that point 
where faith laid hands upon the sacrifice. And they were reconciled by the death of another. And it was in the shedding of the blood of the other that the worshipper then obtained forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the Lord. To the Jew, under the, the shadow of the Old Testament, the sacrifice was slain as they exercised faith in the supreme sacrifice that was to come. To you and I, who live in the fuller light of the New Testament economy, it's a sacrifice that has already been offered once and for all, which we gather today especially to remember around the Lord's table. So we're not looking for another sacrifice. His sacrifice finished all the sacrifices. The once and for all finished sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. We'll go back to the larger catechism again. It, is, it reminds us in question 174. What's required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in the time of administration of it? And part of the answer goes like this. That they affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings. And thereby stir up themselves to a vigorous exercise of their graces. I don't think there can be any vigorous exercise of grace in the life of any believer without that same meditation upon the death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at Christ today through the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1, I pray that God will stir up all of the grace that is within all of our hearts and draw us closer to Christ and teach us more about him. I want to use the great Spurgeon's outline to help us understand what this passage means. And as we work our way through it, I pray that God will show you something more than you've ever seen before of what it is to lay your hand upon the head of the sacrifice of Christ and be reconciled with him. So when the Israelite came in Leviticus chapter 1, what does this signify? Well, first of all, it signified confession of sin. Confession of sin. The very act, of course, of presenting the sacrifice, it was a confession of sorts because it was a confession that the worshipper was worthy of death because of the sin of his life. And it was a confession that he came short of what God required. And there was only one way into God's presence, and that was through sacrifice and by sacrificial blood. This was true of the burnt offering, but if, just, if you turn over with me a few chapters, you'll see it was true of many of the other Levitical offerings. In chapter 3, verse 2, we read again, chapter 3, verse 2, read about the, the peace offering. He shall lay his hand upon the head of the offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So again, he had to lay his hand. Uh, verse 8, verse 13 tells us the exact same truth. Chapter 4 and verse 4. And he shall bring the bullock onto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and shall kill the bullock before the Lord. So the worshipper not only brought the sacrifice, but the worshipper had to lay hands upon the sacrifice. 
And as the sacrifice was slain and the blood was shed, and you can imagine the bloody scene that that must have been on the altar of the tabernacle, that worshipper came and he laid hands upon that animal that was slain in his stead. And we see this not just in these opening chapters, go to chapter 16. We have this in the, the scapegoat, one of the greatest pictures in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16 and verse 21. Now we read about Aaron. He shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. What happens? What happens when a sinner by faith lays hold upon Christ for salvation? They are confessing their need, their need before Almighty God. They're confessing their want of righteousness before God. And now they need righteousness to come into God's presence. And it's not their righteousness whereby they can come into God's presence. It's the righteousness of another. And until such confession of worth is made, then no guilt can ever be taken away. There are many today, and they deny the need of sacrifice, and they deny the need of Calvary, and they deny the, the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. Why? Because they don't feel their own need. They don't see their own guilt before Almighty God. But I think any individual who sees their own need and who sees their own sin and who sees that they have no righteousness of their own will gladly lay their hand upon the head of the one who is going to give them that righteousness before Almighty God. There is no sacrifice for those who believe that by their own righteousness they're going to get to heaven. I, I would not want to think that there's anyone in this gospel meeting today who would believe such, but then I have to probe a little bit further because the Bible says you're to examine your heart, as we've been reading in the Catechism. And I want you to examine your heart today. And I want you to ask at your heart and at the very center of your soul today, what am I depending on to get to heaven? If it's coming to a gospel meeting like this, if it's outward performance, if it's outward ritual, and you, uh, uh, even, if, even if it's in a free Presbyterian church or any other gospel, Bible-believing church, you can sit in those pews until the moment that you drop dead and you'll be lost because you haven't laid hold upon the righteousness of the one who is the sacrifice. The symbolism here is very, very striking. Remember David, we've already sang from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, this is his penitential psalm. This is what he said after he had committed adultery. Not only committed adultery, this is what he said after he had been found out he was culpable of murder to cover up the adultery. He said in Psalm 32 and 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin. I am thankful today there is forgiveness for those who will confess their sin. And I'm glad you don't have to go to a Protestant minister or a Roman Catholic priest to, for, to, get, up, to get forgiveness or to make confession of your sin. You can go direct to God. 
by faith you can lay your hand upon the one who was slain in your stead. In the act of laying on of the hands on the sacrifice, there was a, a confession of helplessness. Without this sacrifice, uh, the worshipper is in a hopeless and in a helpless situation. There's nobody else can save but this sacrifice. There's no righteousness before God but by the blood of the sacrifice that is shed. There's no entrance into the holiest of all but by the blood that will be taken into the holiest of all. How helpless, how hopeless we sinners had been. But there is hope today. And there is help today because Jesus has died. And by laying hands, by laying hands on the sacrifice that was offered the, the worshipper in Leviticus chapter 1 was confessing their just desert before Almighty God, which was punishment. And what do you and I deserve before Almighty God? Just punishment. We deserve to be in that altar. We deserve to die the death that that innocent animal died in our stead. I think of that cross of Calvary once again. I think of that center cross where Jesus died and on either side of them there were two thieves. Luke calls them malefactors. And one of them, it says, railed on Jesus, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself. But he wasn't just interested in Jesus would save himself. He said, and save us. Well, he didn't want to repent of his sin. He didn't want to confess his sin. He wanted to go to heaven with his sin. The other man rebuked his Friend, and he said, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. What was the believing thief saying? Well, he was saying, What we are getting we deserve, but this man didn't deserve anything. And he confessed that what he was getting was his just desert before Roman law. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I, I am thankful today that the believing thief, in other words, he laid his hands of faith upon that center sacrifice. And just because he confessed his sin, his just desert, he sought God's mercy and pardon. He entered paradise that day with Jesus. Now if you were to die this very day, if you were to die this very moment, young person, man or woman in the meeting, would you enter paradise to be with Jesus? What else did it signify? Well, secondly, it signified substitution. The one who brought the sacrifice, when he laid his hands upon its head, he acknowledged the offering to be for himself. He, he was bringing the offering. And he accepted the principle that this animal is going to die in my stead. God's plan of salvation always involved a substitute. Revelation 13.8 reminds us of the lamb slain. And that's a wonderful truth. We love to proclaim that truth. The slain lamb. We're thinking about that this morning in the early morning prayer meeting. But it's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There always was a plan. God was not without a plan. Man did not sin without God having a plan to save man from his sin. 
And the simple truth lies at the very heart of the gospel. There was a lamb slain. And the lamb slain was before the very foundation of the world. From eternity, heaven proclaimed the lamb. From eternity, heaven proclaimed the lamb. And to eternity, the lamb will still be proclaimed. When we get to heaven, who are we going to sing about? About ourselves. That's what much of modern uh, hymnology is all about. It's about man. It's about how man feels, how man thinks, what man needs, etc., etc. But when we get to heaven, we're not going to sing about ourselves. We're going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. At the heart of the gospel is redemptive truth. There's so many proof texts. They just literally line up for examination. If we went no further than Romans chapter 5, we, we could end the case there. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died. Verse 6, for the ungodly. Verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The lamb slain. Now we have the lamb proclaimed. And he's been proclaimed all over the world today. The one for sinners slain. He died in the guilty room instead of the lost. We've been reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Paul took such truths up already. And listen what he said in Galatians 2 and 20. One of the greatest verses in the New Testament. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For me. Can you say it today? Have you enough faith in your heart to lay your hand upon the sacrifice and to say Christ died? Yes, he died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. But I'm the ungodly one he died for. He died for me. Peter said the same. First Peter 3, 18 for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We're the unjust. He was the just. And he died that he might bring us to God. Have you put your hand of faith upon his head today? And have you been brought to him? First John 3.16 The apostle John, this great apostle of love, he said, he laid down his life for us. For us. And that's why we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If Jesus Christ died for us, then we ought to be 